Thanks for checking out the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at iloveelevate.com. You can also stay up to date with what's going on by finding us on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. We hope you enjoy this message and it brings you closer to Jesus. It's an honor to be here with you tonight. Thank you for coming out. Love you, Elevate. Our speaker tonight is... I don't, he's my brother in a lot of ways. Uh, he is the one of the administrators and or teachers and counselors and everything that is needed at, over at APOR, a place of restoration where they take in men who have been broken and crippled by drugs and alcohol in their lives and addiction of all kinds, and they minister to them, they help them, and instead of just rehabilitating them, they're part of the regeneration of a new life in them because they're always pointing men towards Jesus. Uh, he's a man of integrity, of humility, and I'm excited to announce him because he always brings fire. So with no further ado, come on up, Jeremy Smith. Oh, come on. Give me a bet. bet come on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I think from now on, any room I enter, I'm going to ask Dom to come and uh, introduce me. You can come up and bring, my, bring me my stand. Show me my hand. Thanks, man. All right, good evening, Elevate. It's hard, hard to see you in all the smoke, but I'm sure you're looking good out there. Uh, thank you for having me tonight. It is, it's an honor and a privilege. Just on that last song, uh, I was just really blown away. It just hit me. Sometimes it just hits me like I can't believe God allows me to get up here and actually talk about him. So I don't take this lightly. It is a privilege to be here with you tonight and to speak God's word into your life. Uh, but it's, it's even bigger than that. It's just a privilege for me to be even able to uh, speak God's word. It's not lost on me why I'm speaking tonight. Everyone else is tired. Uh, I'm also following up, I think I know a professional pastor, a professional like circuit speaker and nonprofit uh, starter, uh, you're an actual pastor, everyone else is exhausted so they call the drug addicts and they're like, hey, you have anybody left that can come and speak and so here I am. But I'm going to take any opportunity I can to speak God's word, I am truly grateful and uh, I'm very, very excited to be here with you tonight, thank you. Above and beyond for when I get the cotton mouth later on, I don't start spitting on you guys. Uh, so by ha show of hands, if I can see you, how many of you are at conference this last weekend? And show of hands and a yell. All right. Awesome. So what we're talking about tonight is how do we come out of conference? Like, what do we do now? How many of you, uh, you don't have to yell at me this time, but just think about it or raise your hand or you can yell if you want. How many of you this past weekend had some sort of experience of God's presence through this weekend? Yeah, yell, yell about it. We'll just yell about everything. That is, I want you to know, that is a powerful thing. You know, the Word talks about God's uh, omnipresence, which means He's everywhere all the time at the same time. It's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, he's here, He's there, He's all over the place. The Word says he, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He'll be with us to the end of the age. It's constantly reminding us like, hey, I'm with you, I'm always going to be with you. But then it also talks about the manifest presence of God, like when His presence comes down on you and you experience Him. 
And that's important. So don't, so don't, uh, don't take lightly what experience you did have this weekend in the body of believers, all these people your age worshiping God, that's a powerful thing. When you experience God, that's an awesome thing because that takes the words from the page and the words that your parents have spoken or the preacher has spoken, and it takes this intellectual understanding and this head knowledge of who God is and his presence, and it makes it real and personal and intimate, and God changes us and impacts us in those moments. So they're super important. They're faith builders. They're monuments. Hold on to those times. But, there's always a but, and this message is about the but, and probably more than one way. Yeah, Djibouti's in the house, here for Djibouti. But uh, with any mountaintop experience or experiencing God's presence, any mountaintop experience, there has to be a coming down off of the mountain. There's very little growth on the top of the mountain. If you've ever been to the mountains, there's rocks and there's snow, and that's about it. So you've got to come off the mountain at some point, and you've got to come down under level ground and live in everyday life. So how do, we trans- how, do we, how do we translate what happened to us on the mountain into everyday life? That's what we're going to talk about. That's the challenge, because it's easy to worship God on the mountaintop, but it's hard to live out what we learn on the mountaintop when we come back and you go to school the next day. You spend Friday and Saturday and Sunday with your hands raised, and everybody's raising their hand, and it's awesome, and you get the tingles on your spine, and you might shed a couple tears, and you know God's very real, and it's awesome, and then you go to school on Monday, and no one's raising their hands, and it's not cool to cry anymore, and if you have a tingle on the back of your neck, it's for some weird reason that you don't want to talk about. And all the things that you experience are no longer the case. Or maybe you go home to a, to a broken home. Maybe there's, maybe there's a lot of fighting or there's a lot of tension in the house. Or maybe your friends don't think it's cool that you come to church and you walk back into this peer group where it's not so awesome to be a member of Elevate. And what happened on the mountain was so awesome and you remember it, but it's hard to actually live it out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and the rest of the days until the next mountaintop experience. And we don't want to be people that live from mountaintop to mountaintop experience with no fruit down on level ground. I got a quote for you from uh, Oswald Chambers that says this, Discipleship is built entirely on the supernatural grace of God. Walking on water is easy to someone with impulsive boldness, but walking on the dry land as a disciple of Jesus is something altogether different. Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus, but he followed him at a distance on dry land. We do not need the grace of God to withstand crises. Human nature and pride are sufficient for us to face the stress and strain magnificently. But it does require the supernatural grace of God to live 24 hours of every day as a saint, going through drudgery and living an ordinary, unnoticed, and ignored existence as a disciple of Jesus. It is ingrained in us that we have to do exceptional things for God, but we do not. We have to be exceptional in the ordinary things of life and holy on the ordinary streets among ordinary people. And this is not learned in five minutes. So you learned a lot on on Friday and Saturday, Sunday. It's not learned in five minutes. It's not learned in three days. It's not learned in a week or a month or a year. It's learned over a lifetime. It's lived out over a lifetime. And it's not easy. So we're going to talk tonight about how do we translate that from what happened this past weekend to where it creates something real and lasting in your, in your life. And we're going to look at a story in Exodus and Numbers of a people that struggled to transition from mountaintop moments to the ordinary everyday. And that's the title of the message, The Ordinary Everyday. How do we go from big times to the ordinary and the everyday? And we're going to take what they did wrong and we're going to evaluate what we do wrong and we're going to compare it and we're going to say, what can we do differently to where we don't keep replicating the same mistakes that these people in the Bible have made and that we've probably been making since we've known Christ. Amen? But before we do that, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, and God, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of your glory. I'm in awe of your presence. You are so good. You are so good that you show up and you care about us and you love us and you are worthy of everything that we have. That we would, I pray tonight, God, that we would be focused in on you, that our eyes would be set on you, that your word, would, we would allow your word to do what it's designed to do, which is pierce us and cut us and divide uh, uh, bone from marrow and, and, and soul from the spirit, God, that you would pierce us and that we would react to it. This would not be another just mountaintop moment with no fruit following, God, but we would take something tonight that would last us and carry us through the everyday and the ordinary. We give you the glory for anything and everything that you will do in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Exodus 15, starting in verse 1, then we're going to jump straight to verse 11 uh, through 16. Verse 1 says this. It says, Then Moses and the people of... And the people of... Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, so I just want to stop right there real quick. This isn't just Moses. I want to clarify, this is Moses and the people of all of the people. It doesn't say some of the people, it just says the people of Israel. And it says they sang a song. So a little backstory here. The reason they're singing is they've just escaped a near-death experience. The Egyptians, you may have heard the story, were chasing them. They run into the Red Sea, and they're like, we're going to die. And then God splits uh, splits the Red Sea. They walk across dry land. Then God swallows up the Egyptians, and now they're singing. Rightfully so, right? They're like, oh, my gosh, we almost died, but my God is awesome. And so the first ten verses echo that. God is holy, and God is mighty, and God is majestic, and God is powerful, and God is deliverer, and God is my salvation, and God is my redeemer, and any other Christian or Judeo word that you can think of. They, they call God those things in the first 10 verses because they are just elated. They're excited. I want you to get the picture there. They're full of like, oh, oh, did you see? Like when you just tell somebody, hey, man, did you see what God just did? The seas just opened. That's like, it was pretty cool. But when you write a whole song about it and you have like 2 million people singing that song, you're like really excited about this thing that just happened. So it's all of the Jews, the whole people of Israel sing this song to the Lord. And this is what they eventually say in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have, let, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. So, they're saying, not only are you awesome and powerful and you delivered us and you saved us, but now all the people around us, all the nations around us, are terrified of you. And they're terrified of these millions of people marching through the desert with this God that just split the Red Sea and swallowed up the Egyptian army, king and all. They are terrified. I want you to get the language here. They say that they are uh, still as stone until your people, O Lord, pass by. So that's like there's whole nations that are standing there looking like, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't see us. Nobody move. Don't look up. And the Jews are just walking through like, what? What you going to? I know you didn't look at me. I know you didn't just look at me. Put your head back down. They got their chest puffed out. They're marching through. The, they were just crying. Moses, why did you bring us to the sea? Then God splits the sea. And they're like, now what? Say something, I dare you. 
Moabites, Philistines, Edomites, Canaanites, all the ites. Say something. Right? Got the chest puffed out, and they're calling them out. They're full of bravado. They're full of just uh, of this pride in their God and in their people, and nothing can stop them. And it's awesome. And it makes you just want to jump off the stage and just chest bump somebody. But I'm not going to do it. But they're excited. And we should be excited, right? We see God's mountaintop moments. When God does something that powerful in your life, there should be that, my God can do anything type of bravado. But what we're going to see here is we don't always stay on the mountaintop. We're going to turn to Numbers, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. We just read about Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So he's saying, basically, I'm already giving it to you. These are the people that were scared of you. It's, it's just send them over there. You're basically just going to pick your house, pick your lot, pick your furniture. Go look and see where you want to live. It's been given to you, right? The land of Canaan. If we go back into Exodus 15, we see that the Canaanites are one of the four ites. Uh, that, that, that are terrified of God, and the Jews are very, very sure of themselves against. But if we go into Numbers 14, or the end of 13, excuse me, in verse 32, it says, So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. These are the spies they sent. Of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are, are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. And the people don't like this report. So this is what they say. Then all the congregation, that's all of Israel, that's who was just singing, right? They all raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So you might be thinking, this is two books later. Maybe this is like a couple generations later. You know, it was, it's Exodus and Leviticus, the numbers. And you're like, this is probably 20 or 30 years. Maybe there's just, these are different people that sang that song. But it's not. It's about one year and four months later. From the point in Exodus 15 where they're walking around punking people like, I dare you to say something, I'm going to come over there and stomp on you. Till a year and four months later, God says, I've given this over to you, you can have it. And they go over and they're like, they're big. And we're, we would rather, uh, instead of going into Canaan and take what God has says he's already given us, instead let's overthrow Moses and let's march all the way back to Egypt because they'll be happy we're back after we killed the army and the Pharaoh. And let's go back in and say, we're sorry, can we please be slaves again? That's the mind frame in, one, in 16 months. They go from so mountaintop uh, sure of their God to in the everyday the ordinary every day, just walking across the last little step into the promised land, the, the land that is flowing with milk and honey. There's no fruit from the mountaintop 16 months earlier to the crossing of the Jordan into what is their destiny and the promise of their God in heaven. The question is how? 
How do we go from this place where God is so real and so uh, we are so assured of his faithfulness in our life? How do we go from these experiences where we know him so intimately to on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday having no fruit? How do we do that? How do we experience him on a weekend at conference? How do they experience him when he splits the Red Sea? And then very shortly after, we stumble and we fall when we face the first little trial. How? Why? What happens here? I think that the Jews missed the reasons for God's deliverance in their lives, and there's two reasons we're going to talk about. And when we, when we miss God's reasons for doing things in our lives, we replicate the same mistakes that they make. And the first mistake that the Jews make in this, uh, in this interaction with God from parting of the Red Sea to the lack of the crossing of the Jordan is that they made all of these big, huge, mountaintop experiences all about themselves. And when we do like Dom was talking about in the entrance, when we come into worship and we think God's going to do something to me tonight, and then we leave out of here, we're like, well, they didn't play any songs that I knew. And the reason, like he said, that we don't experience God in those moments is because we're trying to make these, we're trying to create these mountaintop experiences to be all about us. But then sometimes God does encounter. Sometimes we do meet God. And the question is, when God come and, comes and meets us, does it, does it force us to, does it push in us to look back up at God and think, how great is my God and live continually looking after him and chasing after him? Or does it make us say, that was so awesome, all the feelings and the good things that happened to me this weekend. And we'll see here that the Israelites struggle in this area. They prove this in the same chapter that they sing God's praises in. So in, verse, in chapter 15 of Exodus, we talked about how full of uh, uh, pride and full of uh, faithfulness and, and full of faith that they are. Well, the end of chapter 15, this is like five verses after they're just staring people down. In 15, verses, verse 23, it says, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So it's like, our God can do anything and everything. He spread the ocean. Oh, there's no water to drink. And what do they do? They go right back to grumbling like they did before, like they did when they got to the Red Sea, like they did when Moses said, I'm going to go to Pharaoh. Every time things did not go their way, they grumbled. But then God moves in a mighty way, and you think, something's changed this time. But as soon as they face opposition, they grumble again. What's your grumbling? What's your go back to? What do you run back to in your life? What happens when you come and you meet God on a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday throughout a weekend, and then you go to Monday and you don't walk it out? What's the thing that you constantly go back to? Is it fitting in maybe? That was my big one. Like, I don't even want people to know that I was worshiping on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I hope they don't put any videos of me on Instagram because the people at my school are going to be like, what are you doing with your hands in the air? You're taking your eyes off of the reason. Is it you go home and there's some opposition in your house? Maybe you come from a, uh, from a different school or a different peer group or, or you have struggles in your home and instead of running to God with it and focusing on what he has just done in you, instead you let that thing bog you down and weigh you down and you run back into video games or you run back into television or you run back into your phone and social media. Maybe it's just distractions. 
Maybe as soon as you're separated from the body and you're separated from your mountaintop experience, you just let the need to be entertained constantly filter back into your life. And on t- by Tuesday, instead of getting up and spending time with Christ, you are now back on Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and whatever else things you use in social media, and that's where all your time now goes. I don't know what it is. Think about it. Ask God. Let him show you what it is that you go back to as the Jews go back to grumbling and complaining over and over again. Because this is God's first intention for you when he creates a mountaintop moment. God's first intention is his glory and his fame. It has nothing to do with you. God's first intention is his own glory. His first motive for moving is his own glory and his own fame. And I'm not making this up. He says it in, verse, in chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. He says, For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get, law, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So God orchestrates this. He walks them to a dead end and says, watch, they're going to follow after you. And then I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart to orchestrate this whole situation so that I can get glory. I can deliver you a number of ways, but the reason I encounter you the way I encounter you is that so you would turn around and say, oh my God, you deserve every part of me. His first intention and his first motive is that he would get glory. And this isn't the only time he says this. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel. Everybody say, your sake. Now everybody say, my sake. It is not for my sake that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Because his aim is his glory, then our aim should be his glory. Because his aim... It's his glory, then our end should be his glory. So when you leave one of these weekends and you go back into the ordinary every day, is your mind saying, how can I take what just happened to me? The unexplainable, the undeniable. How can I take that and how can I bring God glory through this? Because when our eyes stay focused on the one who delivered us, it doesn't get so bogged down in the circumstances that we encounter when we go back on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in the ordinary, in the everyday. When you say, oh my gosh, this God is so real and so loving and so powerful that he met me on a Friday night in Houma, Louisiana with 120 other people and he changed my life and I feel different and I see different and I look different and I love different. And he wants to do things in my life that bring him glory. Then the next time you go to school and you feel like you're, you feel this fear creeping up that people are going to find out that something's different about you instead of saying, I'm just going to give into it and go back to being what I was before. We take our eyes off the circumstances and we say, my life is now uh, dedicated to bringing glory to the one who met me this last weekend. And we say, if I get persecuted, glory to God, because he says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we know that one day we will meet him and he will tell us how much he loves us and how proud he is. And we will say it was so worth it because all of the Facebook statuses and Instagram follows and likes will all be burned up at the final judgment. None of it will matter. And you won't think, I wish I'd have got more likes. You'll think, I wish I put my phone down more and talk to people about what God has done in my life. So take your eyes off of yourself. 
We have to take our eyes off of ourselves and our experiences. We don't glorify the experience. We glorify the experience giver. And we keep our eyes focused on him and not on the chills and the frills and the thrills and, the, and all the things that we felt that weekend. Those are good because we know that he's there. But it has to translate into something bigger and better, something that makes us focus on him. And before I start uh, hammering away at the Israelites too much, I'd like to say that I'm guilty of this frequently. Uh, I, I get to places where I need rescue uh, maybe not between a whole army and a sea, but uh, other areas of my life, internal rescue, uh, issues that I've created, sin issues, uh, distraction issues, emptiness issues, loneliness issues, rejection issues, fear issues, sin, I said sin issues, sin issues, and, and I get so desperate and so dry, it's like being in the wilderness, and I start calling out to God, God, please, and I start running, God, please, I need you, God, please, 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 God, I need you, please meet me. Please meet me here, God. If you don't do something, God, I'm not going to make it. Please, God, I'm getting so tired. I'm so thirsty. Please, God, please, please, I'm desperate for you. Please do something. And he's like, all right, I'm about to do something. Are you ready? I'm like, yes, anything. I need revelation. He's like, here's your revelation. You ready? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, keep running after me and bringing glory to me. And I'm like, whoo, all right. I heard from God. I got the good feels. My hands go up, and I get the tingles, and I hit my knees, and then I'm like, i got to tell everybody about this revelation I just had. It felt so good. I knew God was there. He was speaking to me. And they're like, what did he share with you? Keep running. Don't stop. Keep coming after me. There's no end to me. And they're like, why are you sitting? Like, well, what he actually said isn't that important. What's important is that he showed up, and it was awesome, and I felt him, and he was there, and it was awesome, and it was awesome, and it's tired doing lots of awesome things with God. I'm tired, so I'm going to sit down for a little bit. And maybe that's you, because a lot of times it happens for me on tomorrows. Like today's Wednesday, and I'm going to preach, and I've been, I've been praying and asking God to show up on Monday and Tuesday and all day today. And I've been reading the Word and reading the Word and reading the Word. And last Friday, actually, I was reading the Word, and God gave me this message. I wasn't even looking for it. And so tonight, I'm going to show up here, and I'm going to pour everything out. I'm going to be hoarse. I'm going to be tired. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to sleep past my quiet time. Not in, in God's name, I will not do that this time. But I'm saying that's my pattern in the past. Is God, please show up. Please use me. I need revelation. you got to give me something. you got to give me something. you got to give me something. you got to show up at conference. I need to experience you. He shows up. The whole conference is about running your race, correct? Run the race. Fight the fight. Finish the race. It's all about the race. And then on Monday, you're like, I'm tired of racing. I raced all weekend. But conference was awesome. And we miss the whole reason for encountering God was that we would have the energy to keep running the race. Instead, we just want to stop and hang out because the race was tiring. Or we feel good because we just started the race. We're like, yeah, I'm in now. I can take a break for a week. And God is saying, I've got something so much better for you. So much better. Make it about me. Stay focused on me and not the feeling you get or the encounter that you have. It's not just about the experience. It's about what you take from the experience and what you translate into the everyday, the ordinary. The ordinary everyday. Amen? Okay. So the first thing that we stumble on is that we make our experiences about us rather than the glorification of the experience giver, who is God. God's other intention, though, I'm not saying that he doesn't care about us when I say his first intention is about him. I mean, after all, sidebar, who else would he glorify? 
You know, it's like there's no one greater than him. He's not just going around picking other people to glorify. He's really got no other options. The only person he can really seek to glorify is himself. So it's not really selfish when you create everything, sustain everything, give life, save life, do all those things. You're the only one to get glory. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. If you haven't heard that message yet, uh, God loves you. He gave his only son for you. It's littered through his word. It says in Ephesians 1, it says that you are the glorious riches of his inheritance. You are what he is waiting for at the end of this whole thing. Like us, these Jews, all of his people, the people that never do the right thing, the people that are constantly experiencing him. He's showing up and being faithful. And he's like, please just listen to me and follow. And we're like, nah, I got it. And he's like, but I still love you, and I'm still going to come after you, and I'm still going to pursue you, and you're still the riches, the glorious riches of my inheritance. You're still the one thing I can't wait to wrap my arms around. Day in and day out and day in and day out. So he loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. God's other intention in deliverance and in giving of revelation is to create relationship. We see this in Ezekiel, I mean in Exodus 16:4. It says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, "Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not." So they've grumbled a couple times, they grumbled about the water, now they're grumbling about food. They say the same thing again, all oh, that we would have died in Egypt when we were, at least we had food to eat. Or died, why would God bring us out here to die in the wilderness? He's like, okay, deal. I'm going to give you some food, but there's a catch this time. I'm going to meet your need. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to show up in a crazy, radical way. Like there's actually going to be bread raining from heaven, and you wake up in the morning, there's going to be quails all over the place to eat. So like meat and bread are just going to show up. That's pretty awesome. You think that might change something in you, another mountaintop moment. But he said, this one's got a catch. This one makes you trust me. And come to me every single day. Because he tells him in the story, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, that you can't collect more on one day than you can eat in one day or it will go rotten. So he says, every day you have to come back out to me. And he's painting a picture for us. He's saying, yes, I want to save you. Yes, I want to show up. Yes, I want to provide for you. Yes, I want to deliver you in the big moments. But in the ordinary every day, I want you to keep coming back. Every day. Day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. And that's how you walk out the ordinary extraordinarily, like Oswald Chambers is saying. You don't have to do big, huge, amazing things. You just have to be extraordinary in the ordinary, in the everyday. Day in and day out, God is not saying this, this is not complicated. He wasn't asking the Jews to learn from him how to, how to spread water and go out there and start replicating miracles. He's saying, all I want from you is to come and live with me and be my people and be in relationship. The word says in, in Luke 11, it says, knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. It says, if you do so with impudence. The word impudence means aggravating persistence. If you come to me over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you knock, 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 knock. It says at the end of that passage, it says that God is a good father, and he gives the Holy Spirit to all those who ask for him. He says, if you keep knocking, guess what you'll find? Me. Me. 
He says, you can knock and I'll give you bread and you can knock and I'll spread the sea and you can knock and I'll turn the water to where you can drink it. But what I really want is for you to knock and look for me. So ask yourself, close your eyes. You're standing at a big door and you believe God is on the other side and you are pounding the door with impudence. Like your hand is starting to hurt because you're beating it so bad. And you're asking, God, please, 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 please. And when the door opens, is your expectation that his hand would be out with something in it? Or that his arms would be open, ready to embrace you? Is your heart's, is your heart's desire to seek God to find God? Or is it to seek God so that you can fill in the blank? Feel better about yourself. Have some peace. Have some joy. Those are godly things. But he says, first seek me and I'll add these things to you. What is your expectation in the seeking of God? He's saying, don't come to me every day looking for birds and for bread. I'll give you those things, but come to me every day because I'm awesome. Because I just split the sea. I mean, what else can I do? That you would not start grumbling every time you face something. So relationship. He wants relationship. We fall away from him after incredible experiences because we take the provision and forget about the provider. Any kind of alliteration always gets a woo. <laughs> you just start throwing multiple consonants in there and everyone's excited about it. We, we go after the provision and we forget about the provider. We have these weekends. We have whole weeks when you go to camp and these weekends of conference and Wednesday nights that are awesome and Viking night and, and all the other nights that you guys have and weekends that you have. But then we want to skip Monday and Tuesday. And we want to show up on Wednesday, and then we skip Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and we go to church on Sunday. And we think these Israelites are stupid for the way that they live. And they, God said, only gather the food enough for the day. And they, of course, try to cheat the system and start gathering and hiding, and it spoils. And he says, I want to kill all of you, basically, I'm paraphrasing. Because you don't listen. He says it in verse 26 of chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? He gets frustrated. But we do the same thing. We try to hoard God up on Sundays and Wednesdays. We try to collect enough to make it through the rest of the week. Just a little bit of God on Sunday and a little bit of God on Wednesday and I can jump the rest of the days. And he's saying, don't use me like that. I want to be in relationship with you. The last thing I want to leave you with is an encouragement that you are not too young for this. Amen? <laughs> it might seem overwhelming. You're like, I don't know anybody doing this. But you're not too young. My wife is back there. Everybody wave. Yeah. My wife's name is Amber, and she's awesome. Yep, yeah. Uh, but at, you know, at 13 years old, she went to a camp, uh, a youth, an elevate, elevate youth camp, right? Uh, and she experienced God and God moved and it was awesome. A lot of like what a lot of you probably experienced this last weekend. And then, but there's one thing that really stood out to her. She, she already loved God. She already had given her life to God at 13. Uh, she was a believer. She wanted to live for God. She was going to camp. She was invested. But they did a skit about how you, only, you don't only eat uh, once a week. You would, you would starve, right? And we don't, we don't want to feed, we want to feed our spiritual body the same way we, we feed our uh, physical body. So they were telling her the importance of having a quiet time. 
So my wife, being a good rule follower and a lover of God at the same time, went home and was like, I need to be doing that. So at 13, at 13 years old, at 13 years old, I don't even know where my head was, but it wasn't on having a quiet time every day. But at 13 years old, she goes home and she starts journaling every day and reading the Word of God every day and praying for people every day, people she knows People she doesn't know. She had a map up in her room of the whole world. She would just spend hours praying for the nations. At 13 years old, at 15, she got involved with Hope Extreme, the first ever Hope Extreme program on the east side, doing street programs and ministering to people in low-income areas that hadn't heard the gospel. At 16 years old, she goes on her first mission trip, moved by the Spirit of God from her quiet time, the first one in her family, actually getting other people in her family to go on mission trips, correct? Yeah. The 16-year-old in the house is saying, we need to be reaching people for Christ. It didn't happen on a Sunday, and it didn't happen on a Wednesday. Try not to get emotional here, but I'll probably cry, so just bear with me. It happened on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday. And then she came home from the mission trip and said, I don't need to be on the mission field internationally to reach people. I feel like God is calling me out of my homeschool environment and into, ter- into Terrebonne High School so I can reach people for the glory of God. Started a Christian club. Tells her parents, I want to go to public school for my last two years of high school. Between her junior and senior year, she goes to World Warriors and does six weeks in four different countries in Central America. Comes back, goes to school to be a nurse so that she can travel the world and give uh, uh, medical aid to people. That didn't pan out because I showed up. But... Altered those plans. But what I'm saying here is that God met her and formed this foundation that he could build upon on the day-to-day. The everyday and the ordinary. The ordinary everyday. There wasn't church services. There weren't camps. There wasn't anything going on other than she was saying, God, if you can do this on, on Sunday, then what can you do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday if I let you build on something? We sang about the cornerstone tonight. That's a foundation. But foundations aren't built one or two days a week. They're built in the ordinary and the everyday. That's where we do extraordinary things from ordinary circumstances. And she didn't stop at 17. She's 31 now. Still in her quiet time, God is putting things on her heart. She's the reason we're done with our training and just waiting on someone to foster. God spoke that to her in her quiet time. And look, she is not perfect. I know that more than anyone else. I love her, perfect and imperfect. And none of us will ever be perfect, and God's not asking for perfection. He's asking us to show up. Show up so he can use you. Show up so he can work in you. Just show up. If he moved in your life this last weekend, over a weekend, what can he do in a week, in a month, in in a year, in five years? We don't get to be in our 30s serving God and doing powerful things for Him by accident. It's not complicated. It's costly. You just got to show up. When we make our day-to-day lives, the ordinary every day, about glorifying God through through a relationship with Him, we become exceptional in the ordinary. Everyone, please bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I want you to take a moment. Think about your ordinary everyday life. What does it look like for you? Make it personal. Where you go to school, where you live, your siblings, your friends, sports teams, extracurricular activities. Who do you do life with? 
in the ordinary every day? What's your number one motive for life? What's driving you? Acceptance? Fitting in? Happiness? Comfort? Is it God? And then think about what if you would make His glory your mission in the ordinary every day? What if you came out of this last weekend and God had really touched you and you really left different and you started saying, my, my God, my goal for my life is to make you famous and make you known. And you started praying for people in your quiet time, in your own time, in your personal time. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. And I know it can happen because I've seen it happen in my life. And things start to change around you and God starts to use you. And that's just one level on the foundation. And then you start speaking about him and people's lives get changed. And that's another level to the foundation. And you learn to serve and sacrifice and give. And there's another level to the foundation. And what God will start to show you is that life is better when it's not about you. The definition, the made-up acronym definition of joy is you will find joy if you live for Jesus, others, and yourself. In that order. Otherwise, we're just being deceived. With your eyes still closed, think about this. What if you spent time every single day getting into the presence of God? Every day you made time for Him. You made time for everything else. If you made time every day, how would your life look different? I see it in people all the time where I work. People that start to spend time with God every day, they come in hard, hardened, broken hurting and it's being in the presence of God on a daily basis that softens hard hearts it's being in the, in the presence of, of God every single day because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives the Jews didn't even have the Holy Spirit you have the Holy Spirit in your life being in his presence every day gives you power and strength and boldness you might look you might think right now I can't do all those things he's talking about you don't have to you just show up every day and you let the Holy Spirit do something in you and it's going to start pouring out of you. Seek after Him. Make His glory your mission. And make your destination every day His presence. And I cannot wait to see what God will do in your life if you just do those two things. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have an IQ of 180. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is you don't have to be anything but in his presence for him to do something in you. Let him do that. I don't know where it's going to go in your life, but I know it's going to be amazing. And I know you will like the person you are in his presence a lot more than you like the person you are out of his presence. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would radically change us, God. I pray that our hearts would be set on you, God. Our eyes would be set on you. Our, our feet would find themselves in your presence on a daily basis, God. And you would just do what you want to do in us. That we would cut through all the complications and what's required of us and all the things we have to do for you. And we would just say, I am the branch and I have to be connected to the vine. Because apart from that, I can do nothing. And I pray that we would just put ourselves there, God. You love us so much. This isn't something we have to do. This is something we get to do. Come into the presence of a God that can split oceans. 
we get to do that tonight, God. Me, so broken and so lacking in so many areas. I get to teach people about your word, not because I have anything good to offer, but because you have done a little something in me. I pray that we would buy into that as a body, as a group here tonight, God. And I pray that as we buy into that and we spend our time with you, God, that your name would get glory from our lives. Impact us and change us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jeremy. Give Jeremy another hand. Hey, Jeremy, I think this is for you. He's got good hands. I, I know my brother. <laughs> All right. You guys gave Jeremy a great hand, but you know what I think would make Jeremy really happy is if you gave three times that for Jesus. Are you ready? One, two, three, go. Thank you, Jesus. You are awesome and worthy of praise. Thank you, Heavenly Father. All right, so I don't know about you, but it happened to me. We got back from conference, and I was like, yeah, God, you know, empowered me to speak, you know, on Saturday. And then Monday, I did just that. I didn't have my quiet time. I just slept in, just did normal stuff. And I, by the end of Monday, I was like, Lord, what is going on? Why, why am I like, I feel like someone's pulled the e-brake on my life. And I had to go before the Lord and repent. It was like, man, I can't believe it. I just came to God because I wanted him to empower me to speak. It was amazing how that is so true of my life. And so let's do this together. Let's commit with your youth pastor that we are going to walk out this week pursuing God for who he is, not what we're going to get out of it. You want to do this with me? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So we're going to elevate. Amen. Lord, it's all you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have a great week. I love you guys. If you want to be baptized, talk to your leader.